Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 3, Episode 5, Bedtime Stories. Let's get this show on the road. Hi, everyone. Due to the nature of this episode, we will be discussing sexual assault and child abuse. If that's not something you want to hear us discuss, you can skip this episode either for now or entirely. We don't mind. We just want you to feel safe and take care of yourselves. This was such a plot-driven episode. And it was so good, I'll be honest, I figured it out instantly. You knew that it was the Three Little Pigs? Right at the beginning of the episode, there is a billboard for their company, and it's advertising like new homes, and it's literally the slogan is like, once upon a time. It just, it clicked really quickly, and I was like, yes! I mean, that was the goal, right? The episode hit the ground running, and you had to like pick it up instantly. So they, I think that they were trying to make it as obvious as they could. One thing that I find really interesting in this episode is that the character development is still really baked in. So it's in there. You just have to scratch at it a little bit more than you usually would have to. Are you ready to recap the episode for us? Count me down. Three, two, one, go. Brothers arguing about the same things they're always arguing about. It's constant fighting with those two in this entire season. So I'm not going to, we'll get into it later. We then get to this town where people are being killed mysteriously, and it turns out they're all weirdly tied to, like, fairy tales somehow, because Sam just puts it together out of nowhere, although so did I, so really, who might argue? Dean makes fun of him for it, but gets really into it really quickly and totally accepts it, which is crazy. And they find out that it's actually not a ghost, but the spirit of a girl who's trying to die, but her doctor father won't let her die. They do eventually convince him because he's also seen his ghost daughter and the day is saved, and there's still a mystery of the frog, which we'll get into later time. I have so many thoughts about the episode, so can we get the long game out of the way? Shoot. I don't know if you noticed this, but this was the first time since Madison that Sam thinks that he's going to have to confront a werewolf again. And, you know, with reason, he's looking very sullen about it. We actually hear Sam say, get this. And I'm not sure if it's actually the first time that we hear, hear him say it, but it's the first time that I really noticed it this rewatch. And this is kind of like a catchphrase for him. So get this. I definitely feel like you said it before, because now that you're pointing it out, I'm like, hey, he does say that a lot. I don't know why. I only just noticed it, but he does say get this. And I'm just like, oh, Sam. Another little thing that was in there is that the Impala is actually quite dirty. So obviously when the Impala is dirty, I think of John. And given some of what happened in this episode, definitely ties to John. We'll be talking about John a lot this episode. Finally, it is not the last time, believe it or not, that we will hear of Hansel and Gretel. Really? Yep. Why, weird. Of all the fairy tales to come back, I'm interested. <laughs> and it comes back in a pretty iconic episode, actually. So it'll be a really fun one to do. With all that out of the way, shall we hop into the story time? Yes, please. This week, we meet the brothers on the road in the Impala in the middle of a screaming match. This isn't the first time and it won't be the last time. No, certainly not. I, I don't know if you remember, but I think in season one or two at one point, I was saying, oh my goodness, if you're, if you're getting tired of them arguing now, like you better buckle up because it's going to be something. 
doesn't tire me, but I think it's just funny that how many episodes either start or end with just like almost like a recap moment of the two of them in the car arguing. We're going to get a lot of that for the next seasons. <laughs> in this case, Sam is trying to convince Dean to fight his deal, to accept Ruby's help, even to kill the demon he made the deal with. And Dean does not like that. And, and maybe it's because we saw John in the Road So Far montage, but the way that he was like talking, and when I say talking, I really mean yelling at Sam, I really got major John vibes there. And Sam even calls him out on it. He goes, you know, why? Because you said so? Yeah, because I said so. Well, you're not dad. Twofold in the fact that one, it's such a John thing to say that like, this is the appropriate response from Sam, but also... Like, what a low blow. If it looks like a duck. (laughs) Actually, given this show's track history, if it looks like a duck, it's probably a werewolf. But that's another story for another day. (laughs) It's a were-duck. Were-ducks. But there is a major beat in that moment for everybody, you know, the brothers, but also the audience to really realize the weight and the implications of what was just said. And Dean basically pulls rank on Sam by saying that he's the oldest, which is such a John thing to do, to like get the last word using military-like regulations in a non-military environment. And I wanted to talk to you about this because Sam lets him have the last word. I'm not sure why. I think it has to do with the fact that even though Sam doesn't like to admit it, he kind of does see Dean as being in charge. There is a level of, I don't think respect is the right word, because I think the respect is there regardless. The same way we've kind of discussed parentification before, Sam realizes that Dean has always been there for him and always taken care of him. That when he really does put his foot down, sometimes he kind of just has to go, you know what, let's not push this one. Sorry, I'm just getting like a flash that we've basically had a very similar conversation to this in the past about why Sam would let John have the last word and would follow John along. It was for acceptance. Yeah, well, so I think you had said that you had read it as acceptance and I had read it as like, quote unquote, revertigo, because he was was basically dragged back into those old family dynamics. So here is Sam being dragged back, the old dynamics of like, you know, John leaving and saying, hey, your brother's in charge. Or is he looking for acceptance because he knows that they're in a bad place right now, the two of them? I mean, that's really up to you to decide, right? It's up to the viewer to decide what they think is happening. I, I, I really do think that I see it as him kind of like falling back into old patterns. I think both stand, but I definitely see yours, yeah. Let's switch gears because I feel like we started off like very strongly this week. This episode on its own starts off very like matter of fact and in your face and solid and then we get i hate to say this but even the first attack is almost lighthearted. like as soon as you really draw the parallels to this is clearly the three little pigs this is three slightly heavier men working in construction building homes arguing about materials they've all kind of got like really light wispy beards like the amount of effort that went into like these little choices is so perfect but just so hmm <laughs> care to put some words on that just gonna say light-hearted light-hearted okay a little jovial even 
Well, I mean, there's definitely a lot of humor in this episode, and there's a particularly hilarious moment where we see Sam's absolute catastrophe of a drawing. (laughs) I'm sorry. As soon as Dean called him out as being a sketch artist, and I was just like, I don't think Sam can do this. (laughs) We didn't know, right? It could have gone either way. Sam could have been an absolutely amazing artist, but it turns out that he is not. I have a question. Like, feel free to spoil me on this one. Do we ever get to see any of Dean's drawing skills? Oh, I seem to forget. I don't think so, no. Well, until proven otherwise by listeners or the show itself, my headcanon is he was totally that kid who drew his own inappropriate works because he couldn't access the stuff like we could with the internet. And he's probably an amazing artist, especially of the naked body. There's a lot of headcanons out there that Dean is a great artist, so I'm on board with this. Before this moment, there's also a very sad and touching moment when Kyle tells Sam and Dean that, you know, quote-unquote, the guy that killed his brothers, and like, how would you feel if that had happened to you? And Sam replies, I can't imagine anything worse. And in that moment, you sort of forget that Sam is like this six-foot-four trained killer. All you see is a little brother thinking about losing his big brother. Which is such an interesting thing, like, to put a lens on, because it's like a very, very, like, it's something the show does very frequently and I won't even say well but it does it a lot which is the really quickly tying in a central point of the brothers relationship into the characters of the episode so here we're clearly arguing about the are you like you know throwing your life away and making me live without you and one of us has to live one of us has to die kind of things and then here is someone blatantly saying the words how would you feel if your brother died as they're literally arguing about it It, it's it's blunt but it works and given The messaging we get later in the episode, I find interesting. I really liked this moment, I agree. Because so far this season, we've seen mostly, and we've talked mostly, about what Dean's deal means for Dean. But we haven't really talked about what Dean dying means for Sam. And this scene really gives us a moment, like a little opportunity to start thinking about it, to center Sam in this situation. I think we as viewers... I mean, at least for myself, speaking personally, that was never not on top of my mind was the idea that, like, you've essentially set up this kind of, like, scenario where one of them has to live while the other dies. Either you break the deal, Dean gets out of it, but Sam has to go back to hell, or they go through with the deal and Sam is left alone and Dean finally gets the death he feels he deserves for some reason. Yeah, it's tough to think. Like, we've, we've seen Dean when Sam is gone and how it wrecked him. And we don't have that for Sam, but, like... It's got to be awful, especially, and I feel like part of it almost, the fact that it's not going to be like instant or happen suddenly, the fact there's a timer on it almost makes it even worse. The age-old question, like, would you rather know exactly when you die or not know at all? And I think that in this case, you're sort of seeing the literal countdown in the season as it happens. Okay, well, you know what? Let me break your heart a little further. Yay! Before we started the episode, I said that a lot of character development is actually baked into the episode. I did a little bit of, I guess, meta digging, and I wanted to try to connect each fairy tale to the brothers. So are you down to go on an adventure with me? Always. Basically, what we're going to do is that we're going to go through each fairy tale that's presented in this episode, and we're going to see how it makes a point about the brothers. 
So the first fairy tale is the three little pigs. You know, Big Bad Wolf kills the two that built themselves quote-unquote flimsy homes, and then he can't kill the one with a solid house. And now if we apply this to the boys, Kyle, I think, is a mirror for Sam because he survives the death of his brothers. In this case, who are a mirror for Dean, who doesn't value himself and has his own quote-unquote flimsy home. That's exactly where my mind went with that one. That was very clearly a metaphor for the two of them. Nothing to add there, just agree. Then we have Hansel and Gretel, who get lost in the woods and eat the old woman's pie. So again, I don't think it's a mistake that it's pie. And if we again apply this to the boys, Julie, I think, is a mirror for Sam, and Ken is a mirror for Dean, uh, in his gluttony and wink-wink back to the Magnificent Seven. Did you have anything to add about that? A lot of these fairy tales work with, like, two kids, so it really applies to them easily. But you have, again, the, the cautious versus the pragmatic, and sometimes being pragmatic and taking the path of least resistance is sometimes the wrong path, even if it is littered with pie. Then we move on to Cinderella, where we have a young girl who's beaten by a parent, in her case it's her stepmom, and chained to the stove. To me, again, this is clearly a mirror for Dean and his relationship with John. Being told this is for your own good, it's going to make you stronger, when in reality it is just the parent getting away with what they need to get away with. It's also like the, you know, literally chained to the stove, like he was the one to feed Sam for so long, right? Oh, true, yeah. I think that to a certain degree, this is also making a point about comparing Dean to the eldest daughter trope. For our listeners, the eldest daughter trope or the idea of the eldest daughter is that the older daughter in any family is usually the one responsible for taking care of the younger children. Of course, this doesn't apply to everybody, but like if this is something that interests you, go have a look. This is a, a, an interesting trope that happens a lot, and it comes back for Dean quite a bit. Then we have the Little Red Riding Hood, which is a tale to warn kids about sexual predators. So again, it makes sense to put Dean as Riding Hood because we've had a few hints that Dean might have had to perform sex work in order to feed Sam, and there's no indication of the time at which he he would have had to do that. And there's like a much less like heavy reading of this, which is literally what ultimately saves Red Riding Hood in the original story. Oh, the Huntsman. A huntsman, literally a hunter, comes in and kills the wolf. I like it. But I think that deeper reading, though, it's one of those things where I think it is. You, If you just take the surface, you get the very blunt, like, oh, the hunter saves the day. But here, and actually, it's the other hunter who saves the day because he ends the curse. I think the huntsman works, but I think the huntsman would be Sam in this, personally. No, I think you're right, because he's the one who ultimately saves the day. Ooh, layers. I mean, Dean would have killed him, right? Like, it's not, it's not a... I don't think it's it's a question, right? So you, I think you can read Dean as the huntsman as well. But I think the fact that he doesn't kill him and instead it's Sam who, air quotes, saves the day in this case, air quotes, he does, does kind of put a nice twist on it that kind of lets us go back to the previous reading of Dean and the you know role of Red Riding Hood. What I like about this particular reading is that we get a cathartic moment here where Dean fights the wolf, who's the predator, in order to save Riding Hood, or in this case, his own inner child. And then the whole episode basically culminates with the story of Snow White, who's poisoned, again by a parent, put into a deep sleep, which in this episode leads to her death. And again, the point I brought up earlier of not being able to let go. The way that I read this story as applied to Dean is that John poisoned his mind so bad that his deep sleep is to think that his life has no value or meaning. I hate this. <laughs> Such good readings, but so painful. It is very painful. Uh, but I mean, I think it's important. Again, like this is our exercise of putting words on subtext. And this is 
This was all in the subtext, right? So we're just we're just putting words onto it. This is phenomenally well as far as episodes go when it comes to subtext. Like for a while, I feel like things have been a little surface level. And this has been our like biggest subtext episode, I think, this season so far. I mean, this episode is very forgettable. I'm not going to lie. It's not it's not something that you will necessarily remember when we're like, you know, 12 seasons deep. But I think that it there's a quality to the writing that we rarely see on Supernatural. <laughs> so, you know, when it happens, let's let's make sure to highlight it. Finally, to bookend the story time, we started with Sam. So let's end with Sam, who is in the process of witnessing Dr. Garrison losing his daughter, Callie. The words to remember here are, it's time for me to let you go. The inclination I get from this is kind of the world telling Sam that, you know what, Dean gave up everything for you. It's your time to let go and move on with your own life and let him go. I know he won't. I mean, this episode alone tells us that very clearly in a few moments, but and obviously the show he's going to survive because Dean makes it a few more seasons, to my knowledge. It's it's a tough message. and This episode is just so full of grief for Sam. Because he's seeing Dean act like John. He's thinking back to Madison. He's imagining what Kyle went through losing his brothers. And then he witnesses the loss of Callie. And it's, it's just a lot for my tallest bean. The poor guy has gone through quite a bit this week. I know. <laughs> and then what does he do next? He does not let go. Nope, he does the one thing he was told not to do. Tell us what he does. He summons our lovely Crossroads demon, tries to weasel Dean out of the deal using nothing else but threats. And ultimately, even when she makes it very clear that this deal cannot be broken, even her death won't do it, he decides to pull the trigger anyways. Do we want to scratch at that a little bit? I think they're teeing up this more violent Sam. I think they want us to lean into the idea that maybe there is something he came back different as, um... Yellow Eyes put it, whose name I've already forgotten because it's only been one time we've said it so far. Azazel. Azazel, thank you. I knew it was one of the classic demon names. But I really think this is just Sam, I don't want to say growing as a character, but evolving maybe is a better term. He's becoming more comfortable with force where maybe in the past he would have gone more for the thinking or talking or working things out. And I think he's just tired. I think we're seeing some Dean in our Sam. I think he's starting to realize, you know, I'm going to be alone soon. And I, I don't think that this is an idea that he is coping very well with. I don't think he's ready to let go, clearly. So he is, he's lashing out. Shall we move on to critical time? Let's go. Who wrote this well-written episode? Our writer this week was Catherine Humphreys. She wrote Dead Man's Blood with John Sheban. She also wrote The Usual Suspects and Born Under a Bad Sign. This is the writer, if you'll remember, that one of our listeners said had always, her episodes always have an undertone of sexual assault and sexual predation. Okay, and I can see that kind of here, especially when we look into the, um, the fairy tales and some of the backstory of those we'll get into and how we sort of looked at it with the subtext of Dean and his, uh, how he put food on the table, as it were. Another episode, I think, that supports the point of our listener. 
And the director this week was Mike Roll, who also directed The Usual Suspects and Folsom Prison Blues. So this is a team that has worked together before on The Usual Suspects. And so it's possible that we're seeing, if you remember, The Usual Suspect was very plot-driven also, and the, the character building was baked in again. So we're seeing a similar style. Yeah, I remember being mixed on that episode, but I really like this one. So as much as Usual Suspects I had my ifs with, it was overall a good episode, like you said, for the baked-in storytelling. But then to come back here and do this, this is some great work. Would you like to tell us a little bit about the Brothers Grimm? Yes, I figured that would be the easiest and most obvious point to take. Their story has been told many times, but I figure there's always going to be a listener who maybe hasn't indulged in them the way I have, and I should share that with them. So the Brothers Grimm, two German brothers who collected tales of folklore from towns and cities they visited. They invited storytellers from all walks of life to sit and recount their stories. And much like the versions of these stories we have today, they were heavily modified even then. The list of fairy tales collected by the brothers is over a hundred stories long when you really go through all of the books they've released, including the original Brothers Grimm grimoire. But they do contain many classic childhood stories you would recognize if this episode alone wasn't a pretty easy idea of that. Almost every Disney movie pre-2000 was based on a Grimm's fairy tale. Really, the list is too long. I was debating putting a list here, and it just it would, it would, it would ruin this episode. The writing of the story was in part to collect and an attempt to modernize them. Uh, they did use some acts such as adding dialogue, religious morals, and even uh, some ultimate lessons for the um, protagonist to give the stories a little more oomph than just being retold tales. This simple act of transcribing legends set a precedence for all European storytellers ever since. And while we have so many stories to pick from, hundreds and hundreds you've heard of and they haven't heard of, would you find it hilarious to know that The Three Little Pigs is not a Grimm's fairy tale? <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, but that wraps up the Brothers Grimm. I mean, this is a uh, literally a team that modernized the concept of a written story, of the moral of the story. Again, they do tend to lean heavily on religious morals or safety. This can be seen as obvious as Hansel and Gretel's Don't Trust a Stranger or, you know, The Boy Who Cried Wolf about, you know, lying and the consequences. And they've been adapted time and time again in so many different iterations that it's hard to know how much of the original story is the original story. I think that's kind of what makes them beautiful is the fact they are these stories that get passed down and evolve with society and community as they do. What's really interesting to me with fables and, uh, and fairy tales is how much of it revolved around stranger danger. Well, I mean, you think about the things that you wanted to warn people about. I mean... Uh, you know, getting home before dark, werewolves, you know, not talking to strangers is obviously a big one. I mean, when you live in a small, think back to like 1800s or medieval times, like as far back as you go, there's only so many things to be worried about then. And the biggest one, unfortunately, was people you didn't know and didn't trust. Yeah, of course. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's still the case today, but you know. <laughs> Would you have some critiques from this episode to share with us by chance? I do have some thoughts. In this episode, we, and you've mentioned this in your recap, but we hear Dean calling Sam gay because he knows about fairy tales. But he himself has no problem with knowing movies backward and forward. And it sort of got me thinking about how there are some forms of storytelling or fandom that are considered acceptable according to tox toxic masculinity standards and others that are not acceptable. 
And the example that always comes to my mind whenever I think about this is that there's a lot of people out there who think that writing fan fiction is bizarre, but have no problem with fantasy football. And what, what exactly is the difference? I'm not entirely sure. To pull up a really weird example, there's an amazing college humor skit about this, where it is the two friends go to a like party to watch football and one of them's like not a big sports guy and he's like, I don't get it. And then the next day they go to watch like a Game of Thrones and he's the friend goes, this is the exact same thing. You wear the outfits, you talk about all the players, you know their history, you have inside jokes, you all like are super invested in who wins and who loses. Like it's the same thing. You write fan fiction, people have a weird MO about this, but people can memorize sports stats and like the year players were traded and how many goals they got in a year but I'm the weird one for memorizing the majority of Pokemon standard stats for competitive play. If you really want to piss off a sports fan, call fantasy football or fantasy whatever it is that they're playing. Call it like sports fan fiction. (laughs) I will do this and I love it. It's great because you really see instantly how like how they'll react to that so it's <laughs> I love a, a it. little thing i like to do <laughs> i love that yes so i don't know if you had any personal reflections and call to action this week i have a very small one a very personal one if i may i take a lot of pride in being a storyteller you know i love a story i have said it before and i will say it again if something doesn't kill me I walk away with a good story, at least. And I hold that very true. And I hope people can embrace that, even if it's just once in a while. But it's something that even myself, I embrace. I will say yes to things. I will try new things. I will put myself in, I don't want to say harm's way, but in scenarios I wouldn't have otherwise put myself into, i.e. jumping out of an airplane that one time alone for the first time. Yeah, that's a story for another day. But again, I didn't die. I may have hurt myself, but I have a fun story to share. And to me, that is so important. And this reminds me that, you know, stories are valuable. Stories aren't just an anecdote for an anecdote's sake. Stories can have meaning and can be more. That's such a good reminder. And is there is there something that you are taking from this and you'd like to apply to your own life that you maybe didn't necessarily do before? Nothing comes to mind, I'll be very honest. I thought about it for a while, and the only thing I could really glean from this episode was the reminder to keep doing what I'm already doing, which is looking for excuses to tell new stories. That's excellent. And yourself, where would you like to reflect on today? So this week I've been doing a lot of reading about cathartic narratives to prepare my PhD proposal. And this episode reminded me of Richard Kearney's words when it comes to myths. So let me read this quote. Myths enable us to experience certain otherwise inexperienced experiences. That is, events that were too painful to be properly registered at the time, but which can, après coup, be allowed into expression indirectly, fictionally, as if they were happening. In other words, (laughs) fiction allows us to heal our own wounds. And when we hear a story that resonates with us, it also heals a part of us that the story resonated with. And so I'm, I'm trying to pivot to like very concrete actions in this segment. And so with that reflection, 
I feel called to seek out new media experiences and watch a movie or a show that I haven't watched before in order to fuel my own healing. We have to have a movie date soon. We have so many movies to watch together. I know that Netflix one. I really want to watch that Netflix uh, Christmas one. We'll get that planned out. But in the meantime, shall we see what the community has to share with us today? Yes, please. This week, we have a voicemail from Logan. Hi, my name's Logan, and I actually found your podcast earlier this year through TikTok. Since then, I've been wanting to send in a voicemail, but I wasn't sure how to say what I wanted. I've finally managed to arrange my thoughts in a somewhat coherent way. I'm a little worried that this will be a bit repetitive to other voicemails and messages you've gotten, but I really wanted to tell you this myself. I got into Supernatural after the finale, so I was introduced to it through people talking about all that. And I was like, hey, why don't I watch this show? It's not like I'm going to get super invested in it or anything. And I watched the whole show in just a few months, and now I'm here. So I'm sure you can figure out what happened there. Anyway, I really saw parts of myself and Dean in two major ways. First, in how he covers up or tries to ignore parts of himself that he doesn't want to face, especially his bisexuality and anything he's interested in that could be perceived as at all feminine or just not masculine enough. The second thing kind of ties into that last bit quite well. He's always trying to be who his family wants him or needs him to be, instead of allowing himself to just be who he would be without that outside influence. And just to quickly take a little detour into John Winchester hate town, most of the pressure to be super tough and masculine all the time comes from John. John would view Dean not acting tough all the time as a sign of weakness, and has almost definitely told Dean that. He'd also probably tell Dean that showing any sign of weakness means he won't be strong enough to take care of Sam. So to Dean, the only way to keep John happy with him and to keep Sammy safe is to act overly masculine and tough all the time. So now getting back on track, I feel a lot of that same pressure as a semi-closeted non-binary person. I love my family, but I often find myself doing things that make me uncomfortable or aren't true to myself to make them happy. I also don't do a lot of things that I otherwise would. So seeing people ignore or actively reject queer readings of Dean is really frustrating to me, especially when their only argument is that he acts straight. It's also frustrating to not have anyone to talk to about by Dean, because one of my favorite ways to interact with things or ideas that are important to me is to talk about them with people. So with that said, I think I've finally managed to get to the point. I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. It has been so wonderful to hear you have conversations about a queer reading of Dean. Every time you talk about it, I feel like I'm not crazy for seeing him that way. It's also almost like it's not just Dean you're talking about. It feels like you're recognizing all of the LGBTQ plus people who are assumed straight or cisgender by default which really means a lot to me. It feels like I'm being seen, which I don't get a lot of out in the real world. It's just really amazing what you're doing. So thank you so, so very much for giving me and everyone who feels like I do 
this place, this podcast, this community, where we can and do feel seen, recognized, and understood. Thank you, and carry on. Drew, would you like to start answering them? So here's the problem with this, is I listen to these voicemails, and I think I know what I want to say, and then they take these amazingly emotional turns by the end, and suddenly all the funny things I thought of saying are, like, not appropriate. But I will say that was not rambly, take it from the literal Lord of Rambleton. That was very cohesive and very well said, especially given what you said. I will just say, I just sat here listening to this a few seconds behind Mary, clearly, who was basically bawling her eyes out while listening to this on mute, calling you out. Deal with it. We're both in tears here. (laughs) Thanks. The fact that our show can do this just proves that what we're doing is good. You're right. It's not fair to not be seen. It's not fair to have to be someone you're not. It's hard. Like, this is that moment where I wish I could turn to you and just say, hey, be yourself, be true to you, do what you want to do, forget family. But that isn't an option for everybody. And that sucks. And even myself, I look at things in my own history that I had to change or I wanted to change about myself that I couldn't do until I moved out or until I, you know, got my own place or until I was old enough to make my own decisions. And it's unfortunate that sometimes we have to be put in these holes we don't want to be put into. It's tough. And we see you. We see all of you. And if talking about Queer Dean is going to help, get on Twitter, get on our social, get on our TikTok. We're chatty. Logan, thank you. I've been, um, well, I've been ratted out by Drew, basically, who told everybody that I was bawling my eyes out, which is accurate. You know, you started by saying that you were afraid that it was going to be repetitive, and I just want to address that briefly. But the fact that a lot of people have had a similar experience doesn't make any one person's experience any less important or any less unique because there's something that you articulated in this voicemail about how when people reject queer readings of Dean, it feels like they're rejecting a part of you as well. And I, I so relate to that every single time that I see somebody saying the usual, no, Dean is straight because he sleeps with women. Okay. All right. So, but you are aware that bisexuality by the definition of being bisexual is that, yes, he would also sleep with women. So you're not really making an argument and you're just refusing to see his queerness. And in the same way, you are also refusing to see mine and to acknowledge mine. And I know we made a TikTok about this saying that by not allowing Dean to come out, the CW perpetuated the same type of trauma that John perpetuated, like inflicted on Dean. But I also feel like the outright rejection of queer readings of Dean is another form of perpetuating that trauma that John inflicted on him. Just, just my thoughts about that. Thank you so much for your voicemail. It was very, very touching. <laughs> Thank you very much. And with that, shall we head down to the crossroads and make some deals? Okay, let me get started for this one. Please. I personally had trouble finding something for this episode to make a crossroads deal about, apart from the obvious homophobia. But I do wish that Callie had been allowed to speak more directly. Because spirits can't speak on Supernatural, and so I'm not sure why they kept her silent. Because 
one of the ways to break the cycle of trauma is to speak trauma, to tell your own story, as we were discussing earlier with Richard Kearney. Callie was never quite allowed to do that. And I feel like in a way that also links back to Dean's story, who is who will never be able to fully speak of the trauma, the traumas that have happened to him. I think that would have been like an ultimate end to her story before letting go, being able to just like speak her truth that one time and have someone hear her. To name her abuser, right? What about you? Mine is stupid, but it was one of those little nitpicky things I had to say. Can you recall the tattoo that the um, attacker had? It's the clue that he's the same attacker who uh, goes after the grandmother in the Red Riding Hood story, but also the one who kills two out of three pigs. I don't really remember that. I think it was a wolf. Was it a wolf? I can't remember. No, no, no. It's the thing that chases uh, the Roadrunner. Oh, coyote. Wily coyote? Gee, I wonder what animal that is. Not a wolf is my point. Like, what I what was the what was the reason behind this? What was the I can't what anything else you could be like, oh, he was wearing a hoodie uh, of our town's football team and their team is the wolves or, you know, he could have had like you could have said anything. He had a tattoo that looked like blank or was wearing something that looked like blank and have a three second scene where the brothers put together, oh, the town's mascot or this club's logo or this bar's mascot is a wolf and at least give us a wolf. What is with this show and not respecting wolves? <laughs> where or otherwise. This makes you. <laughs> it's just one of those things where it's like, it's so insignificant. But they use it twice because clearly they show the tattoo when he's going after the grandmother to be like, oh, it's him. But why a coyote? They're not wolves. Did they just happen to get an actor who had a wily coyote tattoo and go like, let's go with it. But also looking at the tattoo, it looks really fake. Agreed. I feel like it could have been any tattoo at this point. It could have been a rabbit tattoo. It could have been dice. It could have been a rose. It could have been a heart that says mom. You know, it didn't have to be a coyote. No, but they used the coyote to make him seem like a wolf. That was the whole point. It was to tie the legend together. How did Sam get to the three little pigs and the big bad wolf when a coyote was the image they had? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, Sam didn't do a great job at imaging anything, if you know what I mean. So (laughs) very good point. He was very uh, blunt this episode. Again, I make this my argument when we're also discussing the fact that the first fairy tale they introduced this in is not a Grimm's brother fairy tale. Like, I get it's a great story. I think it's a great setup for the episode, but there are so many other stories you could have used, even if you exclude all the Disney ones for the safety of it, even though Cinderella and Snow White are very famously Disney stories at this point. Anyways, that was my incredibly tiny nitpick on an otherwise really good episode in my books. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Mary Vigurou and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira and Michelle, for their generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Logan for their message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward. And leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to join our Patreon for perks and extra content. Our January live event will be decided by our patrons. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to patreon.com slash carryingwayward.
Until next week. Carry on our weird friends. You okay? I have to stop not listening to them before the night of. <laughs> <laughs> I know.